Gosh Pods, paediatric educational podcast series from Great Ormond Street Hospital. Gosh Pods are brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. So welcome back to our Great Ormond Street educational podcast series. My name is Sarah Warayich and today we're going to be joined by Dr. Prab Prabhaka, who's one of our consultant neurologists at Great Ormond Street Hospital for the first of our neurology podcast series. Welcome. Thank you, Sarah, for inviting me. Can you tell us what you specialize in? So I do general neurology, but I also run a the largest children's headache service in the UK. So headache has been uh, one of the areas of passion for me. Great. So today we're going to be talking about headache in children. So Dr. Prabhakar, how do we begin to approach headache in children? Well, headaches are quite common. Um, a lot of people are actually quite surprised that you walk into any uh, school and at, at least you have a class of 30 and at least one of them will actually have a problem headache. So whether it is UK or a developing world, uh, the studies show that actually the prevalence of migraine or tension type headache uh, in any age group, right from five onwards till teenage years, it's any, anywhere between about 8 to 10%. So at least one out of 10 child has had a headache problem, a problem headache, pro- headache at least once in the last six months. So that's how common uh, headache, headaches are. So it's very important that uh, in that population, we actually have the right tools to make sure that we are able to not only classify the headaches according to what they are, because that is key to then addressing how we approach the treatment and management of headaches. Great. So how do we classify headache in children? And how do we address the elephant in the room as to, is this a tumour? So, of course, I think any uh, young child and teenager, I think once they have a headache problem, which is impacting on their uh, activities in life, one of the common uh, worries is that is there something significant going on in their head um, and whether could this be a brain tumor, could this be something uh, uh, like a sinus infection or could this be something uh, nasty going on. So I think it is important that one is able to address that issue of if you have a headache, is this a primary headache or a secondary headache? in the first instance. So primary headache by definition are headaches that do not have a cause. So that's that's fundamental to how you diagnose primary headaches. So primary headaches can be classified and uh, I would keep it very simple as migraine, which is the most problematic, and then tension type headache, And then the third, very rare but important group of disorders are called trigeminal autonomic cephalalgias. And the fourth is a very smaller other uh, types of headache, among which things include, for example, uh, primary stabbing headaches. So again, to reiterate, if you are going to diagnose primary headaches, you, you should not have a secondary cause for it. And then you would classify them into these four uh, roots. Either it is a migraine, tension type headache, a trigeminal autonomic cephalalgia, or the other category. Now, just coming back 
to the secondary headache. So one of the first things one needs to do is to make sure that you exclude a secondary headache. Secondary headaches, um, like any other medical condition, the key is in the history. So history taking is crucial in making a diagnosis of whether it is a primary or a secondary headache. So taking a very structured history uh, with the appropriate uh, level of detail is important in making the diagnosis. Of course, examination is important, um, but usually the examination is done to, to try and exclude or confirm what you are suspecting based on the history. So one of the useful things to remember is to, I use a mnemonic, uh, it's called liquid full, and it basically stands for L-Q-I-D-F-O-E. So L stands for the location of the pain. So once you ask about where the pain is, so for example, you know that uh, in some headache conditions, for example, with migraine, especially in the older teenager, it is a unilateral headache. And again, in a autonomic trigeminal autonomic cephalalgia, it will be a unilateral pain. But uh, attention type headache will be the pain all over. And uh, in secondary, some of the secondary headaches, for example, uh, for example, a brain tumor, for example, it's actually a, a vague headache, which is all over. And again, in terms of a, 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 a red flag symptoms, an occipital headache, headache that actually happens in the back of the head, uh, would be considered a red flag in the, in the, in the pediatric world. And the next bit about in the liquid flow is the Q, which is the quality of the pain. The quality is describing what the pain feels like. So... Uh, in very young children, they may not be able to describe the pain very clearly. So sometimes it's useful to either get them to draw what the pain feels like or use hand gestures like maybe opening and closing the hands. For example, uh, asking them whether this actually either throbbing in nature or sometimes you're able to tap onto your table to say, does it go boom, boom, boom? And they can actually then tell you what the quality of those pain is like. And again, one of the uh, important things to remember is actually the pain in migraine is throbbing in nature. On the other hand, if it is a trigeminal autonomic cephalalgia, like for example, ADR cluster headache or your proximal hemicrania, it's very sharp uh, in nature. On the other hand, if it's a primary stabbing headache, usually called as ice cream headaches, then it's actually very sharp like a knife and it can happen all over the head. So that's about the quality of the uh, headache. Now, the next thing about the liquid flow is that the intensity, I. Intensity is actually about how bad is the pain. So pain uh, in the intensity of the uh, headaches a bad headache uh, in children, it's best to, um, you know, one, use either the Litka scale of either 0 to 10, 10 being the most, but actually the most helpful thing to do would be to ask about activity. So uh, that's a very useful way to measure how bad the pain is because 
you know, if you are able to um, carry on with your activity, then you perhaps give a, uh, a three. If you are able to not do anything at all, uh, then you'll be a one. And, you know, so you can actually use activity as a marker of how bad the headache is rather than using um, the zero to ten. And again, with a bad headache, the most uh, painful headache of all is thought to be the cluster headache. Uh, and it's one of the trigeminal autonomic cephalalgias. And it's one of the also the headaches, which is much more common in uh, men and boys compared to girls. And it's also a headache, which is in women who have cluster headache. They say that it's actually much more painful than uh, childbirth. So it's one of the uh, headaches, which is thought to be the most painful. And of course, migraine is also uh, a headache where the pain will be about moderate to severe intensity. Compare this to a, your uh, tension type headache where there, by definition, it will be a mild to moderate um, kind of intensity of pain. So knowing about intensity is important. Then the third bit about the liquid four is your D, which is the duration of the attacks. So some of the primary uh, headache disorders, for example, in migraine, uh, you the headache needs the condition needs to last for about four hours to up to about three days. And in some of the short headaches, like for example your trigeminal autonomic cephalalgias, some of them can actually be extremely short. Um, and up to a few hours at a time. So, for example, cluster headache can uh, obviously by its name come in clusters, but up to about half an hour to an hour, but many times, uh, a few times in a day. Same thing with the primary uh, proximal hemicrania. You can have about 15-20 minute attacks, but again many times in a, in, a, in a day. So, knowing about the duration of the attacks is also important to try and classify what the headaches are. Then, of course, uh, the, in the liquid four comes the frequency. And then again, looking at how frequent are the headaches. And this is where it will be helpful to think a little bit about uh, whether it is an episodic problem or a chronic problem. In the headache world, if you have a headache more than 15 days of a month, three months in a row, then you will be labeled as someone who has got a chronic headache problem. Anything less than 15 days a month will be called as someone having an episodic headache problem. So within, for example, one of the common headaches, for example, migraine, you can actually have an episodic migraine or a chronic migraine. So knowing uh, about the frequency and asking about how frequent the headaches are, uh, will actually be very helpful in defining the, the whether it's a primary or a secondary headache. The other important thing to uh, remember in terms of the secondary headache uh, is that, for example, your brain tumor or your raised pressure headaches, when you have something there, it's there all the time. So some of these secondary headaches, usually you actually have a headache which is much more continuous, much more there regularly, rather than being episodic. So that's, an, again, a useful discriminator as to when you are actually looking at either episodic or uh, a chronic problem. Then in the liquid four, the next thing which comes is the other 
things that which is looking at what other features do the headaches give. For example, in migraine, you actually have uh, photophobia, phonophobia, uh, or osmophobia. The the um, smells you can be sensitive to smells. You can also have dizziness and sense of self spinning. You can actually have movement sensitivity. So whenever you have migraine, you move that make things very difficult. And again, you can also use this opportunity to ask about other questions. For example, some of the uh, headaches which actually raise intracranial pressure by doing your Valsava maneuver can uh, exacerbate the pain and that can give you a feel of whether it is a secondary headache or not. Whether the headache actually changes with position, whether the headache is actually worse in the morning or the evening, all of this can give you some hints as to whether this is a primary or a secondary headache. And some of the autonomic cephalalgias, for example, give you very clear unilateral autonomic features. So, for example, eye watering, eye redness, nose watering, all of this can hint towards whether, it is, whether there is any autonomic involvement uh, uh, to classify the headache. And finally, in terms of liquid flow, the E stands for effect of the headache on the patient. And this comes back to whether they're able to function. Um, and, and again, in terms of uh, looking at secondary headaches, we know that um, in uh, children who have things like brain tumor, you can actually look, they can actually have a head tilt or they are actually unsteady when they are walking. Um, and again, in uh, uh, teenage children, uh, if you have a delay in puberty, for example, you are going to think about whether could this actually be a pituitary tumor giving you this problem where they go off uh, food and appetite and they decrease in appetite, they lose weight. You can start thinking about whether uh, this could be a secondary headache. So looking at the effect of this headache, and again, we should not forget the, the psychosocial aspect of uh, the effect of headache on the child. So asking about school, asking about self-harm, for example, asking about triggers um, for those headaches will also be very, very important uh, in trying to classify the type of headache. Thank you. So that's a really helpful classification. You touched upon some red flags earlier, and I wondered if we could explore that a bit more. What are the red flags that we need to look out for in children? So the main red flags uh, will be, uh, I always say that actually uh, the, the time you either read your referral letter or actually see the person walking into your clinic room, those are two uh, 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 times where you should be able to uh, raise some of the red flags. So number one, um, the longer that you actually have a headache, months, years, is very less likely to be a a secondary headache. Um, so short headaches which happen very quickly, um, then I think uh, you need to think about whether this, whether this is a, um, a secondary cause for this. Thunderclap headaches. These are headaches where you happen suddenly, like your thunderclap, very acute headache. You end up in accidents and emergency with a, with a very bad headache for the very first time those will be something to think about in terms of uh, a red flag. Headache, as I said before, in terms of the, where the headache is, in the back of the head, if it's an occipital headache, 
then again, the chances of um, that actually being a secondary headache are probably high. If there is a change in personality uh, of the child, then again, um, you, you need to consider whether there is a... So looking at educational attainment, looking at change in personality, a change in behavior, all of those uh, will be important. Of course, if someone ends up with a temperature and a headache, you, you always know you need to look for infection. And of course, signs of meningism, where you know neck pain and neck stiffness. Uh, again, migraines can photophobia, can have photophobia, but uh, that photophobia will have to be put in context with whether you are actually having other signs of meningitis or meningism. Uh, to look for a, a red flag sign. And in terms of examination, always, always do a blood pressure. And it's one of the, uh, uh, very rarely in your career, there will be one child you'll pick up with a undiagnosed hypertension. And always do look for femoral pulses because it might very well be um, a, a, a coaptation, which is, which is missed. So I think do, um, in, when you're examining, do that. And of course, looking at the fundi and doing a visual fields by confrontation will be important. And when they're walking into your clinic, um, you can uh, see that they are steady on their feet. And that, that is all that you need to make sure that the cerebellar signs are looked for adequately. And other important bits would be about looking for uh, when is the headache much worse. So if you're if you got headaches, which actually is waking you from sleep, uh, that can happen with primary headaches, but uh, it will be a bit unusual. So again, that, that might be something to think about as a red flag. And again, early morning headaches. So you kind of gone to sleep, uh, your flash uh, gives you more chance for the intercranial pressure to raise. So first thing in the morning, very bad headache, and the headache actually gets better as soon as you stand up uh, within a few minutes then I think that can point towards a, um, a secondary um, cause for a headache as well. So looking into all of these different aspects of a red flag. And the final thing is that there was a study looking at red flags, and it also said that if after taking a detailed history and looking at the child, you're not able to classify the headache, so unclassifiable headache, would also uh, be looked at as uh, uh, something to think about as whether this could be a secondary headache. So when when we then reach a point where we've done a great, taken a great history and um, examined the patient, what investigations should we think about, and what would make us go for these investigations? So uh, I think the the important thing is to first of all look to see whether there is any evidence for a secondary. Uh, headache here. So if you're thinking about secondary headaches, then if you, you know, you need to kind of make sure headache is not the only symptom that you're being reported for. So in all the secondary headaches that uh, can happen, whether it's a brain tumor or idiopathic intracranial hypertension, uh, the headache is not the only symptom. There is always something else. Uh, whether on physical examination or on history that will actually give you uh, a reason to look uh, by further investigations. And one of the key investigations, of course, will be uh, brain imaging. 
to look for a cause. But that will go back to as to what is it you're suspecting uh, to be to be the secondary cause for this headache. So, uh, for an example, if you suspect this is because of a raised pressure or idiopathic intracranial hypertension, for example, then the most appropriate imaging there will be a MRI and an MRV. So, so I think to look for the venous sinuses as well. On the other hand, if it your if it was you're looking at uh, a secondary headache in the acute setting in any someone uh, comes up and they actually have a thunderclap headache at that time, what you're looking for is subarachnoid hemorrhage. In that scenario, um, there is no point in waiting for uh, to get a MRI brain. You know, I think CT is actually a very quick and, and much more sensitive than looking at a bleed than an MRI. So that will actually be the most appropriate investigation in that setting. But again, if a CT for a thunderclap headache has uh, turned out to be not showing any bleed, you again uh, do not stop there because subarachnoid hemorrhages can be very small and you might not be able to pick that up and you proceed with a lumbar puncture to look for red cells and xanthochromia in, in those things. So I think investigations will have to be tailored based on what you're picking up on your clinical history and examination and, and asking the right question as to what you're thinking is important to then decide the right type of investigation. And obviously the sooner the better, but when should you have imaging done for a patient you suspect a secondary cause for? So again, that will depend on what type of secondary cause one is actually looking for. So uh, if, for example, I'll give you a scenario, if the child turns up in A&E with a thunderclap headache, mm -hmm. the imaging has to happen that day. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you're thinking well, there is no papilledema, the child has come to your clinic with a headache, and you're thinking whether this could actually be a, a brain tumor because the child is a bit ataxic, and uh, but I think doesn't show any of the signs of acute hydrocephalus, then yes, Yamara would be the best uh, scenario for that child. But in any child, if you're thinking about, oh, could this actually be an obstructive hydrocephalus, mm -hmm. then the imaging has to be because it is a neurosurgical emergency. So you need to kind of then do the imaging straight away rather than wait, wait for an MRI because an, a hydrocephalus can be picked up by a CT scan. In, in terms of tumor, if there is no, if you're suspecting a brain tumor, there is no evidence for pamphletema, there is no other evidence of raised pressure, then actually arranging a, uh, because I think posterior a tumor are the most common would be in the childhood population and CT is not a very good as looking at posterior fossa and therefore arranging a brain MR would actually be the best way to do it. Now in terms of uh, if you suspected a, a brain tumor uh, then uh, it is something you need to kind of probably put in your request form and then discuss with your patient as to, well, I'm suspecting this. And then the question is actually how long you're going to wait for this brain MRI scan. So on the other hand, if, you, if, if the child has actually had a headache for six months and there is no other signs of um, uh, raised pressure, 
and you just want to make sure that you're not missing something and you're asking for it, then it's, you know, you want to explain that, then it's reasonable that, that the, the EMRI happens at the next available opportunity. But on the other hand, if there are worrying signs, then you then you probably want to go and talk to your neuroradiologist to have it done as soon as uh, it is possible. Okay, thank you. Um, one of the conditions you've touched upon, and I wonder if we could explore that a bit more, was idiopathic intracranial hypertension. How might that present, and what do you need to think about? So, uh, idiopathic intracranial hypertension, uh, as the name says, uh, idiopathic, which means that there should not be a cause for that uh, raised intracranial pressure. Um, so, um, by definition, you should not find uh, anything. So, it is a combination of raised pressure and uh, papilledema, bilateral papilledema. And that is, and perhaps sometimes a, a, a sixth nerve palsy is allowed, and that is the only neurological sign which is actually allowed within that definition. So, someone with a headache, with pap bilateral papilledema, with perhaps a sixth, um, uh, would be classed if they all the investigations turned out to be uh, completely normal, they don't have a cause for all of this, and they show raised intracranial pressure by measuring the CSF pressure, and if the pressure is more than 28 centimeters of water uh, when measured in the left lateral decubitus position and without uh, anesthetic, and if under general anesthetic under normal CO2 uh, expiration pressures, then you would class them as idiopathic intracranial hypertension. But you would also um, see that uh, in this particular condition, um, if there is no other reason, for example, venous sinus thrombosis or venous uh, stenosis or uh, the child taking a lot of vitamin uh, A or there is uh, anemia. So all of these are causes that can lead to raised pressure. Once you've excluded all of this, then you might end up with a cohort of uh, population. As we know, it's much more common in uh, girls than boys. And again, there is also a very good correlation with obesity and uh, idiopathic intracranial hypertension. So, in fact, in some of the studies, it's now been shown very clearly that weight loss is actually the best treatment um, for bringing down this pressure um, in this particular condition. Great, thank you. So, coming back to headaches in general, how do we then approach management? Um, I, I appreciate it would depend on what we think the cause is, but do you have some general principles that we might apply when approaching management to headaches? Um, I think it's important... First of all, headache management starts with classifying the headache. So um, it's always important to make sure that you've ruled out a secondary headache because secondary headache, the management depends upon what the cause for the headache is and you need to treat the cause uh, first. But in general, for primary headache disorders, the, the management uh, is what we call multimodal. So you put this patient in the center, then uh, look at what um, the triggers are, whether it could actually be some trigger identification avoidance. Then you look at what the lifestyle is. So there is a good evidence that actually if you manage 
the lifestyle. So doing things on a regular basis, good sleep hygiene, uh, uh, not missing breakfast and uh, keeping yourself hydrated. All of that is actually very important uh, in the management of primary headache disorders. Um, making sure that you there's also good evidence for a, a uh, things like uh, cognitive behavioral therapy in the management of um, primary headache disorders. So again, introducing or including um, psychology in the management of headache is important. Um, activity is important. I think regular activity on a regular basis uh, is important. Avoiding boom and bust is important. So making sure that you don't overdo yourself on the days you feel well and then uh, not being able to do much the following day. So keeping things on an even keel uh, is very important. So then you come to what can be offered uh, in terms of medical management. Um, and there are many options. Um, but I think, again, you need to sort of distinguish between the acute treatment. So these are treatments that you are going to give the patient when they are in the, in the middle of a bad attack and the prophylactics which you give them on a regular basis to stop them from having frequent attacks. So the acute uh, treatments usually involve analgesics and uh, because aspirin uh, will not be used in the childhood population, you're left with either paracetamol, ibuprofen um, as the most common two painkillers. One of the important things to remember is that there is this entity called medication overuse or algesia overuse headache. So these are headaches which will happen if you use analgesia regularly. So I would always advise that you stick to the two-day rule, which says that you can take analgesia two days a week, and there is very, very minimal chance of you developing medication overuse headache. And the other important thing to remember is that there is no role for opioid-containing compounds, especially codeine, in the management of primary headache disorders. This also ap uh, applies uh, in terms of the two-day rule to the triptans. So the triptans are uh, 5-HT1V1D receptor agonists, and the, there are about seven of them, and they are used in the management of migraine and the acute attacks. And again, uh, they can't be overused more than two days a week because you can end up with, uh, with, with um, medication overuse headache. When it comes to the preventives, um, there, there are unfortunately uh, very few um, uh, preventives which has actually been trialed in children uh, for um, migraine per se. So in, in, the, in the bigger scheme of things, um, both uh, propanol um, and topiramate have been shown to have some efficacy in terms of uh, as a migraine um, preventive medication. There was a huge uh, study looking at the efficacy of pisotifen, although it's one of the um, uh, medication which is commonly used as a preventive. Um, the, 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 the science doesn't support the use of um, uh, pisotifen in preventing uh, migraine, although it's, it's still commonly used. 
There's another medication which is uh, not licensed in uh, the UK, but again, worldwide, this is used. It's called frunazine. It's a, a calcium um, antagonist. It's used as a, it was developed as a, a blood pressure medication, but it's again one of the commonly used um, drug worldwide in the uh, uh, prevention of, um, um, uh, as a prophylactic for migraine. Okay, great. That's really helpful. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before we conclude this podcast? I think um, when it comes to headaches, uh, uh, keeping things simple is very important. The primary key question in your mind is, is this a primary headache or a secondary headache? And in order to do that, you need to take a very good structured history. Use the mnemonic liquid foe. Once you've decided it's a, whether it's a primary or a suspicious or a secondary headache, use investigations appropriately and ask the right questions as to the right type of investigation if you're thinking about a secondary headache. Once you've excluded a secondary headache, if you're thinking about a primary headache, there's only you need to classify them into these four different categories, either migraine, tension-type headache, trigeminal autonomic cephalalgia, or the other under which sits your primary stabbing headache. Um, we would probably uh, look to do more podcasts on these individual headaches, um, and maybe that would be an opportunity to explain about them a bit better. Great. Thank you very much, Dr. Kavaka. Thank you for listening to GOSH Pods. If you would like more information on courses and educational opportunities offered by GOSH Learning Academy, please visit the website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy or follow us on Twitter at GOSH Learn Acad.